So Money Episode 342, Kathy Kristoff. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit Wealthfront.com. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today's guest is someone I've been trying to connect with for a long time. She's someone that I very much admire in the personal finance space. She and I have, in the past, written for similar publications, and now we get the chance to connect one-on-one. She's an award-winning financial writer, contributes to CBS News, Kiplinger's Personal Finance Magazine, Financial Planning, and many other places. Kathy Kristoff is here. She also is an author, multi-author, has three books, including Investing 101 and Taming the Tuition Tiger. You might also recognize Kathy's voice. She frequently contributes to television and radio. And here's a fun fact, fun fact. She was once a question on Jeopardy. Yes, Alex Trebek said, Kathy Kristoff replaced what famous personal finance columnist who died in 1991? And the answer, who is Sylvia Porter? Some takeaways with Kathy include her perspective on the financial markets in 2016, what we can do to protect our money. She's covered the markets for decades, so she can pinpoint cycles and she can tell you what might be the best strategy going into this year. That and so much more. Here is Kathy Kristoff. Kathy Kristoff, welcome to So Money. It's very appropriate to have you on as a financial expert. I'm a big fan. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Farnoosh. I'm a big fan of yours, too. It's funny. We've written um, for many similar publications. We have a lot of mutual friends. In fact, um, you came highly recommended from other guests I've had on the show. you got to have Kathy on. <laughs> it's a shame we've never actually met. I know. Where are you? We need I, to I just know, where, like, where get in the you? same city at the same time. <laughs> where, where's I, home I work for out you? of LA. I'm sorry? Where's home for you? I I live in a little suburb of Los Angeles um, and uh, work from home. So it's it's weird. I I know so many people by name and reputation, but a lot of them I haven't met. I've just talked to them over the phone a zillion times. And and you're in New York, right? I am. Although I just cut back from being on the West Coast, 
Um, if I had known that, I would have I would have looked you up. But next time, for sure. And of course, if you're ever in New York, please let's let's make this happen. But in the meantime, really happy to hear your voice and share your expertise on this podcast. My listeners always want to know the latest, greatest, best ways to save, invest, build wealth. And you've written several books. You've been working in personal finance for a long time. Was personal finance always your concentration? Well, actually, no. When I, first, I if finance was always my concentration, um, I started reporting um, in 1983 on banks and savings and loans and insurance companies, um, and then moved into investments and junk bonds. Um, my, I, I've actually kind of followed disaster, and I, I'm not sure if I create the disaster or the, I just follow it. But um, when I first started writing about banks and savings and loans, there were no more failures than ever before in history, huge savings and loan crisis that started following insurance companies. We had the biggest insurance company failure in history. I followed junk bonds. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, um, I now follow the markets and you know what's happening there. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, it begs the question because you've covered this market for so many decades and you have seen so many ups and downs that do you ever feel like no matter how bad it can get with the economy and the financial markets, that in the end, there will be a sunny day? I mean, I don't wish upon us another financial crisis like the one that we had in 2008, 2009, but the market is cyclical. And I just wonder, you know, for as hard as it can get, for as devastating as it can get, maybe the good news is, is that as a country, as an economy, we'll, we'll make it, we'll make, we'll get through it. And that's something to look forward to. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, essentially, the stock market is a reflection of the U.S. economy as a whole. And unless you think all the companies in the U.S. economy are going to go under, you have to have some faith that the stock market will rise again. Um, I think, though, too, I, I actually write an investing column for Kiplinger. And it's about investing in individual stocks. And there's a lot of people, um, a lot of personal finance mavens who justifiably say, hey, you know what, just invest in index funds and forget about it. I actually have a little bit of a different perspective on it. And it's that you should have some individual stocks in your portfolio. You should have like a little piece of your portfolio that's dedicated to buying individual stocks and where you're always looking for something. Because if you do, you will be forced to realize when the market is getting overvalued and you'll be forced to realize when the market is cheap and that can help you both plan and, um, and help you allocate your assets more wisely. Not saying that you sell out when you think the market is expensive, but maybe in, you know, in the discretionary cash portion, you get a little bit closer to cash for, you know, make sure that you have that cushion that you need. Um, I just think it makes sense because going into this year, I was looking at a market that was at unusually high levels. Now I haven't checked yet. Oh, it's the market's closed today, but, um, they, uh, we're getting closer to normal levels now, not cheap, but normal. And so, um, if you knew that you would kind of be prepared for a market drop. What's your prediction for 2016? I mean, we know that interest rates are 
rising. We had our first rate hike in who knows how long <laughs> in December. And the expectation is that the Fed will, you know, continue that trend at least for the next two years. Um, and we also know that there's a lot of geopolitical hecticness, craziness, uncertainty, and also it's an election year. Mm-hmm. So how does all of that bake into the market's direction? And then what should personal, as you're per- putting on your personal finance hat, what what would be a recommendation for consumers this year? Maybe not even so much with investing, but just in other areas, real estate, um, savings accounts, job market. You know, I, I think that the advice on the personal finance side is always the same. You know, spend less than you make. Um, make sure that you have a cushion of cash um, for things when go- for when things go wrong because they will. Um, and I, you know, with everything else, you just you just live your life. Um, I, I actually think the Federal Reserve was a little precipitous in raising rates. I don't think the economy was strong enough to call for that. And I think the markets have kind of panicked a little bit because of that. Um, a, it, it was such a modest increase that it really, it doesn't have a significant impact on anything. And unfortunately, it, it also doesn't even help retirees who have just been struggling trying to find a source of income. Uh, so I, it, it, I don't know that we're going to see a lot more of uh, rising rates in the next year anyway. And um, I, I don't think that the Federal Reserve uh, will drop rates um, again anytime soon because that would just be humiliating. But <laughs> yeah, that would be awkward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we oh, have no shoot, idea what whoops. we're doing. That's basically what that message would be. Yeah, but um, but I don't think you're going to see much movement one way or another. And so, um, you know, it it really is is all a matter of using your common sense to look at your personal situation and figure out where you want to be. You know, if you need income, you're going to have to look to investments like REITs and dividend paying stocks. Um, if, you know, it, you, municipal bonds actually are paying a reasonable um, returns right now, particularly if you're in, over the 28% tax bracket. Um, but, um, you know, for the rest of us, you just have a really diversified portfolio of stocks, bonds, international investments, REITs, um, cash, and you just say there will be better days. <laughs> yeah. Well, what uh, got you interested in personal finance in the first place, Kathy? I mean, it's not something that I think <laughs> I joke, like you don't wake up one day and go, when I grow up, I want to be a personal finance writer or a personal finance expert. <laughs> um, oh yeah. You know, so what was that turning point for you? What, what, when did you realize that you actually had a talent in this and that not only that, but you're actually pretty interested in, in exploring this area specifically? You know, what was funny is I, so I studied journalism in college and, um, and I was never really sure whether I was going to be a journalist or not until my senior year, I got an internship at the LA times in the business section. And I just was home. It was exactly what I liked doing because I think money is an incredible motivator. And if you understand how the system works, you can kind of understand where things are going to happen. And so um, I just thought that it was really fun to be in an area where you could kind of predict um, 
where the action was going to be and you could be right on top of it. And so, yeah, it was just, it, just really fun. And also, you know, the idea of somebody calling you in the middle of the night about a fire, just, um, unless it was my house, I just didn't want to know, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, the good news is the market's open at 8.30 and, or was it 8.30 or 9? 9.30. I forget. I have been so long since I covered the, the stock market. Is it 9.30? <laughs> You know what? I, I It's open by the time I get up in the morning. So, okay, I'm, so maybe, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're on the West Coast. It's sometime in the morning and then it closes at four. So when I covered the business world, like in news, I knew that at least, you know, there were no like midnight calls unless it was the recession and, you know, things were happening minute by minute then. As far as yeah, if you have a normal life, when yes. you cover finance. That's true. Yeah, but you know, it, it's, it's also, I mean, I just look at it and I think it, if by getting your finances together, you actually can be a better person. Um, I just feel like um, everybody has basic needs, food, clothing, shelter. And until you get those basic needs um, you know, covered, you really can't look outside yourself and see what you can do in, in the world. And so to me, you know, helping people get to that spot where, um, I, I, I personally have never wished to be rich, but I'd like to take money off the table as an issue. And that's what I hope to do for my readers. Um, and it, I think that generally once money is no longer something that you're worried about, now you can be out in the big world and looking at how you can make the world a better place. It's really corny, but I actually believe yeah. it. <laughs> No, when I hooked up with a financial advisor years ago, she said, well, what do you want most, what what sort of help do you want most with? And I said, I just want to be able to never have to worry or be concerned about money. I don't mind thinking about my money in when it's, you know, happy thoughts or just, you know, uh, thoughtful questions around money, but I don't want to ever have to be worried about something, um, something drastic. And she was like, okay, we can work with that. Um, Kathy, what would you say is your financial philosophy, your one overarching money mantra that you live by? <laughs> that it's not about money. <laughs> it's, you know, that it, life is about people. And again, I, to me, the idea is to get money off the table so that you can have the life, the relationships, the experiences that you want. And so um, it's just a matter of doing the smart but simple things that you need to do to make money not an issue and then live a rich life. I mean, if you think about it, there are no number. I mean, it doesn't matter how many toys you have. They're never going to make you warm and happy and healthy. It's really all about the strength of your relationships. And so, um, yeah, I just think it's, if you know that it's not about money, then you're not that worried about money. You're really worried about security and safety and having fun. I love that. Well, how did you become so wise with your, you know, financial perspectives? Would you say that you had a pretty open minded childhood when it came to learning about money and being introduced to financial concepts or was money kind of taboo growing up? What was your money memory growing up? 
You know, my parents never really talked about money, um, but uh, we had some experiences. When I, I was little, my dad was in the airline industry, and the airline industry was really young at the time, and the companies that he was working for were – they would fold every few months and my dad would get a new job and then another place would fold. And it was just, you know, I know it was really stressful for my mom and dad and my mom was a stay at home mom. And at one point, I mean, my dad had gotten offered a, a, a teaching position um, at USC actually. So really good, stable job. My mom really wanted him to take it. Um, but he loved what he was doing. And so he decided to stay with it. And so my mom said, well, okay, then I'm going to go back to work. And she did. And I think really the lesson for me was you make it work. You, you find ways to make um, I, your finances and your life um, a, work for you. And it may not be, I mean, like, that somebody else might have just said, well, you know, we'll take that teaching job. So what if you hate it? It's like a stable job, you know, but I really don't think that's how you live because you spend too many hours a day working. So you have to love it. And, you know, my mom since loved working um, and she became a teacher and I, I you know, they're, they're fine. They, it, it, I think they, lived what I'm talking about. It's not about money. It's about solving things and, or, you know, having the life you want. And they, to this day, live the life that, um, I think very few other people have a, um, I have so many warm, wonderful relationships and they've, um, I have 22 first cousins. Wow. And yeah. And I think, I think a whole bunch of my first cousins consider my mom and dad, their surrogate parents, um, and have spent a tremendous amount of time with them. And, and that too has allowed my sister and I to have these wonderful, warm relationships with all of my first cousins and their kids and their kids, kids. And, it's so cool. And then meanwhile, you know, so many of my friends also spend so much time with my, it's, it's all about, again, relationships. My, um, my parents just live a really rich life without it being at all about money. <laughs> you mentioned something really critical though, which is your problem solving acumen. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that people who go through life able, able to have, quote unquote, financial independence, freedom, peace, whatever you want to call it. It, it, I mean, it doesn't, it's not to say that they don't experience ups and downs, but they're really good at identifying problems and finding solutions. And that's, that's a skill. That's something you have to be really conscious about. It's a dedication. It's why I think money management doesn't come naturally to so many of us because it is, it does require a level of well, confidence, but also problem solving. Would you agree? Yeah. You know, I really think that to me, the, the key is to have a mission statement. Um, so what do you want for your life? What do you want, um, your money to do for you? Um, and it, you know, it starts with obviously your life. Okay. What's the most important thing to you and how are you, how do you propose to get that? And then, 
everything requires some level of financing, you know, whether it's just having a roof over your head, it's going to require some level of financing. So then you like think about what, what you need for that. And then it be imaginative about how you solve the problems. It, your solution doesn't need to be everybody else's solution. Um, I, I actually uh, was reading about this couple who, um, you know, they, were retired. They weren't particularly comfortable. They weren't sure whether they had quite enough money. They joined the Peace Corps at like, you know, 55 and 60 and had like three fantastic years in Rwanda, you know, like, honestly. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, they were talking about the other things they were doing and they, and then now they're, I think they're um, in their late sixties. And they're thinking about doing another stint in the Peace Corps just because they liked it so much. And I just think that's really cool. I mean, that is solving money problems in such an imaginative, marvelous way. But it's, again, all about your mission statement. I mean, what do you want to do? Do you want to travel? Do you want to just be, you know, cocoon near <laughs> your family? Do you, I mean, everybody has a different it thing that makes them happy or different things that make them happy. And I think that's always what you should be going for, but just looking at it broadly and say, you know, I, I, I other people I've, um, I, talked to have talked about, well, you know, when I retired, I, you know, particularly because of this low rate environment, people would retire into this and go, ah, oh, I don't have enough money for the things that I really wanted to do. You know, like this one guy who just loved golf and greens fees, you know, can kill you if you're golfing enough. Right. And so what he did is he volunteered to be a, um, I forget what they call them, but you go around and you make sure everybody's, um, you know, playing fairly and on time and aren't, aren't holding up everybody else. And because of that, then he got free greens fees. And so he would golf when he wasn't being the, the little, I don't know, monitor, the golf monitor that somebody who actually plays golf is going to have a heart attack thinking, okay, how could you not find that word? <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't help you at all, Matt. I was like, I hope she figures it out because I will not be able to help you. <laughs> yeah. So whoever listens, they'll know. Oh yeah. yeah. There's the guy who goes on the cart and just make sure we're on time. But in any case, yeah. And so I think that again, it's really not about, it's not about being richer than everybody else. It's about finding some smart imaginative way to live the life you want and we can all do it. We don't have to have massive quantities of wealth to do it. Mm -hmm. We can, you know, manage however we go. Yeah. I, what I'm discovering is everyone's definition of quote unquote rich is vastly different. So the first step is figuring out what that really means to you and not just from a figurative standpoint, like a figure standpoint, uh, but actually, um, you know, from what do you, how does that make you, what does rich mean to you as far as a feeling, as far as a lifestyle, as far as, you know, family and work? Let's talk about failure a little bit, Kathy. We we dive into failure on this show as a way to ex illustrate how we're able to problem solve and learn from our failures. So what would you say is an example of a financial failure that you experienced? And doesn't have to be something drastic, but you know, something that you learned from it was a misstep. Oh gosh, it's going to be hard to choose between the many failures that I've I've experienced. <laughs> um, 
I, you know, I've, I've had a few really hugely money losing investments in the stock market, um, that I look at afterwards. I've actually written about a few of them in Keplinger just recently, um, because I had such a hard time selling them. I, I just got a little too, I don't know, attached to my investments and I said, Oh, they'll get better. Come on, hang on. Um, but probably, um, <laughs> I, probably I, I years and years and years ago uh, bought a rental house, um, and you know it, the good news is that we bought it with. Um, a, I think when you buy a rental, you need to uh, be very careful. It can be a great investment. But you have to have incredible staying power. And so if you don't have the cash flow to pay the rent or pay the mortgage for six months or even a year without a renter, you should not be in that market. Um, and I say this with authority because we had those. Um, we bought this rental property. It was a great deal. Um, we immediately had a renter. Everything was great until the economy went through a dip. This guy lost his job. And, you know, it was um, a nightmare trying to get him to pay rent and then evict him at some point um, because he wasn't paying rent. And, um, and what I learned from that one is you can lose money in the stock market. You can lose money in the bond market. But real estate, rental real estate is the only investment that will go south and swear at you at the same time. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things too, that when times are tough, it's, and we have a, in a primary property, the second property is usually the first one that we will neglect or be the first to toss. Well, I, I, we did sell that one. Um, mm -hmm. we realized that we were not good landlords and, um, or not that we weren't good landlords. We did not enjoy being landlords. And I, um, came to the conclusion that it was much more fun to, you know, just watch your investments from afar. And like I said, I can handle losses. It's not really going to hurt me, but, um, I, I really don't want to have somebody swearing at me while they're yeah. not paying me rent. <laughs> well, I think this also is an example of, uh, something that one of my other guests shared with me at one point, Tim Ferriss talks about how he's not really into invest stock investments. Um, he has a portfolio, but he's not, people assume me because of his, he's, he has a lot of risk tolerance that he's, you know, that he would be really interested in trading stocks and following the stock market. But he's like, actually, I don't have the stomach for it. I would rather invest in companies. And he has a portfolio of startup companies that he invests in. That's his, that's his risk tolerance. Um, and so I think your point is good. I think it's smart. I think you have to kind of figure out where you land on the map as far as the risk map, you know, what you can tolerate, what you can stomach. Not to say that you should not have anything in equities, but I think that if you're, if you have extra money and you're looking, okay, what do I do with this? Um, maybe it's, do I put it in real estate? Do I put it in the stock market? It's really a question about your, um, your personality, right? Yeah, that's part of it. You, you want to, I mean, I actually think that everybody should have, um, a, 
diversified portfolio of um, stocks, bonds, cash, and real estate investment trusts. So real estate investment trusts are a way of getting into rental real estate that um, does not require you personally renting out a home. And I like that as part of a diversified portfolio because the income comes from a different source. So what you want to do in a portfolio is have a group of investments that are all going to be moving at different times and different speeds. And by doing having that diversified portfolio, it makes the overall investment portfolio a little less volatile. And so you, it, it reduces your risk, even though you can actually, you can add in riskier elements, which will ultimately increase your return, but your overall risk is lower because you've got investments that are moving at different times and in different levels. That also, however, means that a lot of, you know, something in your portfolio is going to be performing less well than the other Mm -hmm. things. And sometimes it's going to be losing money. And I think you just have to develop the temperament to say, that's okay. I know that in the end, I know why I have this portfolio. I know that that it's going to work for me overall. And I'm just not going to worry about the day to day because that's not what it's for. What would you say is your number one financial moment, your so money moment? <laughs> that like everything's okay, it's good. <laughs> yeah, like you were so proud. You you just remember it as being a triumphant moment and it had it, it ties back to your finances. You know, um I, I the first time I remember being all proud and excited, it was when I could literally spend a hundred dollars on a gift and not feel like I was choking. And, you know, that obviously I was pretty doggone young, but that was like, I felt like, whoa, that's pretty cool. I must've, you know, done something right. And, you know, other than that, I mean, it, things have, I woke up one morning and I realized that I was not rich beyond my wildest dreams, but you know, in really good shape. And, you know, if I wanted to, I could quit my job and I wouldn't be worried. And since my money goal has always been freedom, um, that was a really great moment. Um, Mm. and you know, I probably experienced that moment, you know, like every time I get annoyed at at something at work, I think I could quit my job. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully no one's listening who might be. Well, no, no one from Money Watch or Kiplinger. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't actually think it's a secret. It's like the fact that you could is doesn't mean you will. But it's it's really a nice feeling to um, I know that you've you have gotten that goal. Your if your goal is freedom, you have the freedom to do almost anything you want to do. And I guess when I um, I counsel my nieces and nephews and my kids about money. Um, I it, it talk to them not about, you know, accumulating all the savings. You're not saving for retirement. In my opinion, you're saving to have options um, and that it, or, or freedom, depending on how you want to look at it. And um, I think that's like the most that's the biggest luxury ever is to have freedom, to have the ability to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that's, um, but 
I don't know if that's a money moment or it's kind of become a money life. (laughs) I love that story. It's a simple story, but really, again, goes back to what you were originally saying about how it's not about the money. It's about, you know, everything else that your relationships, you know, what, what actually brings you meaning in life. Yeah. Let's um, talk about habits now, almost rounding out the interview here, but I love learning about my guests' financial habits, one or two that you practice consciously that does help you with your money management. Um, well, I mean, get bills, pay them. It just like, it don't put them someplace. Um, I pay my bills online. I the moment they come in, I schedule the payment and then, then I don't have to think about it again. And that keeps your credit rating good. <laughs> That's always a good thing to have. Right. It's kind of um, the most, it's like a magic bullet. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's just really simple. Yeah. Um, you know, they, I mean, the big thing I guess that is a little bit different is um, several years ago when I realized that I was in very good shape economically, I started, um, doing financial projections and, um, and I'm super cautious. And so I am not going to ever spend more than, um, I think I can afford, you know, a million years from now. But what I wanted to do was, um, uh, start being a little bit more generous with, um, the kids in my family, because they're all at that young twenties age where, um, you have so many financial needs and so few resources. And so instead of like leaving them money when I died, I wanted to help them buy houses today. And so that, I guess, is um, maybe the a, a ritual that is a little different is that I go through my finances um, kind of regularly and I set aside pots of money that um, – my future heirs can have now as opposed to then. And, um, I like that because, uh, I've helped both my niece and my nephew buy houses and, um, yeah, and get through school without debt and, you know, stuff like that, which again, I think, um, you know, someday I will die and the money that I have left over will go to heirs, but, um, they'll be like 60 then, you know, (laughs) and, and, why, why make them, you know, happy when, you know, it then as opposed to now when you can actually appreciate it and enjoy the, the fact that they are not going to struggle quite as much. Um, now I, I would much rather, you know, selfishly, I want to see them spend my money. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do some, so many fill in the blanks. Now, this is when I start a sentence and then you finish it. First thing that comes to mind. Ready? Mm-hmm. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is. Oh gosh, I'd probably feel guilty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Why would you feel guilty? I don't know. I, it's a Catholic thing. I, I actually just was talking to a friend of mine who won $5,300 in the lottery. And she said, and I felt guilty for the last six years about it. But I was like, oh gosh. <laughs> um, no, I, I probably would figure out, you know, how much money I would want to have to do some thing that I would not be able to afford now. And then I would probably start a charity with yeah. the rest. One thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is my house. Um, I, um, I 
have a really nice home that I built a few years ago and it's geared to, um, having friends over and, and people, I, I have a, a cooking area. I've got a, my stove looks over a, a bar that has nine or seats around it. <laughs> and, um, and it's, it's, so it's almost like, you know, being in a bar in a restaurant, um, <laughs> but, but those seats are often filled and it's, it just makes me happy. And so I, you know, do things to, um, make my home more welcoming. I, I, I can you tell me more about your house? I'm, I'm trying to imagine because I love real estate. I love interior design. Like, um, what was the, what, what, what is your favorite part of your house? Oh gosh. Um, well, I love my kitchen, but what, so the house, I actually bought this crazy mess of a house. Um, I fixer up or I, when I bought it, my, both my mom and my sister took one look and went, Oh my God, can you get out of this? <laughs> this place is horrible. <laughs> but I had this vision in my mind and I knew that I wanted to remodel it kind of dramatically. And, um, and it, the great thing about doing that is you get to draw it out and do it just the way you want and, you know, have the space fit the way you live. And, um, so yeah, my, kitchen and dining room are one big, huge room that also flow into my, um, living room and family room. And, um, and then I have a game room with a pool table and big TV and stuff like that. And that looks out over the pool and it's, it's just a fun house. It's, it's a really fun house. So all the parties in my, with my 22 first cousins are here. Um, (laughs) You are the cool aunt for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's definitely, if you want to have your, you know, baptism, your, you know, uh, shower, you know, this is, you're going to do it here. The birthday party, lunch, dinner. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What is one. So this is the next sentence. The one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is. You know, I, I really, I feel like my parents did a great job of teaching me about money. Um, so I, I don't have any, um, things that I wish I knew, I, as it turned out, I mean, their money advice was really simple. Um, you know, I spend less than you earn (laughs) and you know, that works. If that, if you never learned another thing about money, spend less than you earn, that's, that's the one piece of advice that you need to pass on to everybody every time. Because if you do that, really everything else just kind of falls into place. And last but not least, I'm Kathy Kristoff and I'm so money, <laughs> little bragging opportunity here. I'm so money because? Because money's off the table. <laughs> money is, is understood and it's um, comfortable and that's all I need. Kathy, thank you so much. Tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days. I know you're writing for Kiplinger, you mentioned. Um, I write for CBS, Financial Planning, Kiplinger, some others as well. But yeah, it's uh, I regularly write a column for Kiplinger and, and contribute to their um, 
their magazine and their website, which is a lot of fun. Um, I'm a regular contributor with CBS News, which is also a lot of fun because um, it, it, Kiplinger is a magazine, so their deadlines are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But I came from a newspaper and I was used to like these, like something happened and you right now. And, um, I missed that when I left the LA times. And so, um, I, CBS news gives me that little immediacy fix. (laughs) Yeah. Which is so important when you're a journalist, you just want that instant gratification of knowing that your work is out there quickly as opposed to, I mean, I wrote an article in early December and it hasn't published yet. Reminds me, I should probably follow up with that editor. (laughs) Going on. Oh, that. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, hello. At least I should collect payment. I'm going to send out that invoice today. It's enough already. Okay. Kathy Kristoff, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a great rest of the year and hope we'll finally get to meet in person. Absolutely. Let me know the next time you're in LA and I will look you up when I come to New York. Please do. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Kathy, and I hope you do, check out her books, Investing 101, Taming the Tuition Tiger. She's on cbsnews.com as well as Kiplinger's Personal Finance Magazine. She's on Twitter at Kathy Kristoff. You can grab the transcript and the audio and comments from this episode over at So Money Podcast. And there you can, of course, leave me your question, comments, thoughts about the show or your personal finances or whatever you want to ask me. Go for it. Click on Ask Farnoosh while you're at somoneypodcast.com. And that's the best way to reach me. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money.